0: I can't help but think about the sound of music when you describe being in the mountains with a bunch of kids. Is that kind of (laughs) at all what it's like or what is it like every day there for you? Very nice comparison. I haven't thought
1: about sound of music, but actually uh, I think it's something similar.
0: So before the war started in Ukraine, more than a week ago now, I didn't know anyone inside the country I only had a few friends living here in Germany that had moved from Ukraine years ago. And even more than the rest of us, were taking the news pretty hard. But in the last few days, I've met several people still living inside the country. And this is one of them. This is Anna. She's 34 years old. She's married. She has an eight-month-old baby. And currently, she's hiding out in the mountains while a war is going on just dozens of kilometers away, like Julie Andrews in the movie... The sound of music. So it took us
1: two days to get here. We also picked up on the road uh, family of my brother. There is him, his wife, and uh, two children.
0: Anna was living in Kiev when the war started, and they held out for five days in the city, but then decided to head west into the mountains.
1: The road here was really horrible because, like, it's snowing and it's like there is almost no road and uh, people here, like, this mountain people, Hutsuls, who are quite uh, unhospitable because, like, all of the people have someone in the family who is in the army now because it's, uh, it, it was this first wave of mobilization and uh, mostly people who already had experience went to defend the country. So they were quite angry to see two men who are bringing their families. They were like saying that you can stay here only one night in this region, then you have to register and go back, or something like that. But we had no other choice.
0: — So Anna and her family, they drive up the snowy road and find a place to stay. — It's the last place in the village
1: it's like like really deep deep in the mountains we got to the place really late late at night we didn't know where we go who will be here but when we got here like it was like uh, we realized that everything that we had before all of our tears and fears <laughs> uh, on the way it was like an entry point to get here because it's it's like a retreat, I would say. And sometimes I think that we don't deserve it. Or maybe we did something right that we got here and we, have, we live here now. But still, like it's something like in Sound of Music.
0: I'm James Reed. I'm a filmmaker and I live in Frankfurt, Germany. But this show is about people who don't want to be filmed or can't be. This show is about people living on the run, people living underground. This is Don't Show My Face from Invisible Pictures, Germany. So we're going to go now from the Carpathian Mountains in western Ukraine all the way to the other side of the country to a city called Kherson. It's a port city in the south, and it's in the eastern corner of Ukraine. I got in touch with a young guy there, and to protect his identity, I'm calling him Oleg. Oleg is 24 years old, and he's lived in Kyrgyzstan his whole life. A year ago, he graduated from law school, and actually a few days ago, during the invasion, he celebrated his birthday.
2: A couple days ago, my business (laughs) struck when the war broke out.
0: And instead of having a birthday party, he went around the city delivering food and medicine to people who didn't have the money to buy it or couldn't leave the house to go get it for themselves.
2: I was trying to help people around. So we have arranged a volunteers movement. We are gathering a lot of food supply, medicines, and so on. We are trying to help our hospitals and those people who are truly in need. Ukraine is like not-so-luxurious country where everybody have enough money to just supply their families and so on. That's why we do what we could to get as much funds as is possible and to help as much families as it possible right now.
0: So the way this works, as far as I understand it, is that Oleg and his friends, they actually pool their money together and take donations from other people in the community. And then they go out to stores, the stores that are still open and actually have food or medical supplies. They buy what they need, and then they drive around town delivering it to... A list of names and addresses that they've received online,
2: so we just like placing requests in our social media, so hey, we need some financial help, we need some people, those who would like to help our hospitals, maybe somebody would like to give us some foods or some medicines, some remedies, and so on. so there are a lot of outgoing people who would like to help financially and by some supplying some products or some foods, whatever they can do. So we're gathering all of the stuff and things and just giving it away to people who I need.
0: In case you missed that last part, he said they're giving it away to people in need. So literally they've created their own aid organization inside of their city, which is closed off to the outside world. Nobody can get in, nobody can get out. Russian troops have complete control of the city and they also bombed supermarkets, shopping malls, and even pet stores
2: our, like, shop selling animals and all of that stuff and supply for knick for animals. So it was bombed. And all animals around just running around, out of this place. And right now we have different animals running around.
0: And, uh, yeah, I never, I didn't even think about it, but getting cat food or dog food must be next to impossible.
2: Oh, that's difficult right now.
0: His cat's name is Tusia and he says right now... They're giving it what little cat food they have left, or just some meat that might be around the house. So to recap, the pet store has been bombed, shopping mall has been bombed, the city is cut off from the outside world, and people in Kärsson are slowly running out of everything. But Oleg and his group of friends slash volunteers are still driving around, buying supplies and delivering them to people in need. And I want to talk about how they organize that because I find it fascinating. And because, I don't know, maybe this is something we all are going to need to learn how to do. Okay, so step one, form a small group of people you trust. Step two, take donations inside the group and transfer it to the person in the group who's actually going to be doing the shopping. Step three, make a list for who in your community needs what. Like Maybe a family down the road has written online that they're running out of diapers. Maybe someone else is diabetic and needs more insulin. Write it on the list. Step four, the buyers of the group go out and try to find a shop that's still open and has diapers or a pharmacy that has insulin. And then step five, you buy it and you take a picture of your receipt and post it to social media. This is a very important step, and honestly, when I first started looking on social media accounts in Kersen, I could not understand why so many people were posting photos of store receipts, like image after image of these long receipts that totaled up to huge sums of money. I thought maybe it was because they wanted to show how much they had hoarded, but no, it was just step five. And the other thing you have to do in step five when you post the picture is tag everyone in the group who donated money so they can see, here's the proof. I spent the money the way we agreed, see for yourself. Step six, post a picture of yourself delivering the goods and tag everyone again. This is how they maintain trust and transparency in the group. And once you finish step six, you go back to step one. But there's one problem with this process at the moment.
2: Uh, actually, right now it's quite difficult to drive around the city as far as we have difficult times with our petrol, with gasoline. We are like right now the city is absolutely cut from everything, from every supply. So, right now we are trying to snatch whatever we could find everywhere in some shop groceries, drug stores, whenever we would try to find.
0: I thought there might be another reason why supplies were running low in Kerson. So, I asked Oleg about it. I mean, I also saw some videos of people breaking into um, supermarkets that have been hit by bombs.
2: Uh, yeah, we have couple of cases when our markets uh, have been bombed. What's going on with that markets? It's quite difficult to describe. And we truly despise those people who are stealing all of that food and supply. It's quite difficult even to explain how bad these people are up to me and up to numerous inhabitants of our community as far as those who desperately need of this supply and this food just sitting and they can't do anything. They can they can find anything. And I don't know for what are they stealing guitars or what for are they stealing some TVs from the shops. So it's kind of madness what's going on right now. Mm. And I hope it should be ended soon.
0: I think Oleg is trying to be diplomatic here. Because the rest of the community, well they're frankly, pretty pissed about this looting that's happening. And before I talk about what some citizens in Kyrgyzstan did to punish looters who were caught stealing from bomb stores, I want to say that, first of all, there have been many more reports of Russian soldiers breaking into shops and markets and stealing than Ukrainians who were taking advantage of the situation, taking advantage of the chaos. But that small minority of Ukrainians who were stealing from shops at least in the city of Kerson, Well, do you know that thing where small towns used to lock people's heads and hands into this wooden thing with holes in it? It's actually called a pillory, and they would put them in the town square and lock anyone inside who they wanted to humiliate or shame for their actions. So the person would just have to stay in there, helpless, while everyone else walked by and cursed at them. So yeah, they did something like that in karrison, but instead of a wooden pillory, they used tape or sometimes like huge amounts of plastic wrap to fasten thieves to these electric poles around the city. So these crooks are just squished up against poles with their arms wrapped tight and their faces pressed against the metal. I saw this on social media four or five times, and I can't say for sure that they were all in karrison but I know for sure some of them were. Some guys who were strapped to poles even had their pants pulled down. I also saw a video of a woman whipping one crook's bare ass with a stick. I can't say for sure whether the men in these videos were Russian or Ukrainian, but I can say that if this is what people in Kerasen do to their crooks, then I would not want to be a Russian soldier in Kerasen if and when, hopefully, Ukraine retakes the city. Take this as a lesson, guys. You do not want to fuck with people in Kherson. When I was talking to Oleg, I asked him, what's it like to witness all this stuff? Like, first
2: two days since the conflict started, you, feel you, you felt yourself like, well, oh, I can't believe that it's true. It couldn't be like so. But after a couple of days, you're trying to fit yourself in this position and find yourself, find a place for yourself. And you're trying, first of all, care about your family and supply them as much as you could. So to find whatever means of living you can do. And next, you starting thinking about how can you help to our community, to those people who I
0: meet. And what about other everyday things? Like, how are you sleeping?
2: I don't know how other people are sleeping. I'm sleeping more or less fine, fortunately. Okay. <laughs> but I know a lot of people, a lot of my guys, a lot of my acquaintances, they don't sleep at all, so they have, like, an inner fear inside of them. And the reality of them is quite dim right now. And I do understand them as far as the future for of us. Of our future is quite obscure right now. But it is what it is. We can't do anything. The only thing that we can do is just trying to somehow survive and somehow help our peoples as much as we can do.
0: And is there a fear that in the end, even if Ukraine wins the war, that the southern part of Ukraine will still become like a new part of Russia? Is that a fear that people have there?
2: Some of them probably do. Um, Up to me, I don't care right now about this, so I'm leaving like one day, I don't know what would be tomorrow. So I need to care and fix and solve the problems that I have right now immediately. I don't think that people are caring about it. The biggest problem for them is food and medical supply. That's all. So people are trying to survive.
0: I spoke with someone else and he was talking about how, you know, they're waiting for the occupation to be over so that they can start fighting again against the Russians, so that they can be part of the Ukrainian army because he's also 24 years old. And um, how does that feel for you? Is that something that you think about wanting to fight back or, or are you more interested in helping people? Right.
2: To be honest, I know that not an army expert. I know the strategist. So I was I had a peaceful living there. So I had my woven affairs, Right now, I'm, I do only care about two things that I told you before, that's all. And I'm not like a speculative person who would like to dream about how it would be or might be. So for me, it's just a matter of helping people right now. That's all.
0: Since I talked to Oleg and Anna, I've been walking around my neighborhood here in Frankfurt with a totally different perspective. Last night, I was taking my dog for a walk and I saw an entire bottle of medicine just lying in the street with all the pills strewn out across the pavement. I took a picture to show Oleg, but then I never sent it because I thought it might just upset him to see medicine literally lying in the street in my city while he's working tirelessly to find medical supplies there in Kärsen. And I started cataloging people, strangers, differently in my mind whenever I crossed them in the street Do they look like somebody who would loot a TV store if bombs started falling on Frankfurt? Or more like somebody who would drive around, low on gas, delivering food to elderly people? Last week, the news of the nuclear power plant being shot at by Russian troops and catching on fire afterwards had everyone worried. People in Germany still remember Chernobyl. Friends of mine have told me that as kids they weren't allowed to play in sandboxes after Chernobyl because there were fears that the sand would actually hold the radioactive particles that were blowing over from the east. I've heard about people here already, right now, buying up potassium iodide, which is what you're supposed to take to protect yourself after being exposed to nuclear radiation. Over the next couple episodes, we're going to report more on the city of Kherson. There's been a lot happening in the city recently, including just yesterday as I'm recording this, which was March the 5th, a protest pushed Russian forces out of the city square and even led to citizens capturing a Russian tank. There's a video of a guy waving a Ukrainian flag from up on top of the tank as it cruises through these cheering crowds. My contacts inside the city are worried now that the Russians will take revenge for being made to look like idiots, like idiots who can't even secure their tanks. If you want to see that video and other photos related to today's episode, including photos of the receipts from step five and step six of Oleg's aid process, or you want to see the snowy mountains where Anna is hiding out with a bunch of kids and families, you can follow us on Instagram at Don't Show My Face Podcast, all one word. We'll post updates there, including when new episodes come out. And if you want to get in touch, you can also DM us there. This was episode one of Don't Show My Face from Invisible Pictures, Germany, produced by me, James Reed, with help from Julia Carbonaro and Paulina Lauch. Take care.